student of Oxford. Ah, oh, that's right. You said I'd like him. Yes, that's right. That's right. Oxford, of course, was um, the first of the British universities founded in possibly the late 12th century. And went Bologna? Oh, Bologna, so yeah, the very earliest. And then that's Oxford? Right. Uh, oh, Bologna and then Oxford. There's also, oh, there's also Montpellier, which is very old. No, that one, no. Southern France. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And then disgruntled Oxford students went to Cambridge mm-hmm. and founded Cambridge about 40 years later, so... Only. Walks 20 minutes up the river and... <laughs> <laughs> well, by Australian standard, it's next door. <laughs> yes. And very cold because of a howling wind that comes off the northern Russian steppes and across the great, the great plain of northern Europe. Oh. That's what made it so easy for the Germans, you know, to roll their tanks into everywhere because it's all just flat. Flat as a pancake going get to the, oh. the Ural Mountains. And so this terrible wind comes off and makes Cambridge very chilly. So I feel they chose it as a penitential place. <laughs> <laughs> All those Oxfordians having fun and drinking, you know. In the warmth. <laughs> in the warmth. <laughs> so, I'll read, I'll read it through first. A cleric there was of Oxenford also, but unto logic had a long ago. As Lena was his horse, as a rack, and he was not richt fat, yonder tarka. But look at Holwyn there to soberly. Full threadbar was his overiest court to be, for he had getten him no yet no benefice, though was so worldly, for to have office. For him was never had at his bed at head, twenty bookers, clad in black or red, of Aristotle and his philosophy, in robe and rich or filth or guise or tree. But oh, hey, that was a... F- but I'll hear that he was a philosopher, yet had he but little gold in coffre. But I'll let he micht of his friend his henter on bookers and on learning he spent. <laughs> <laughs> and busily gan for the soul's prior of him that him yaf him therewith to scholai. Of studio took he most to cure and most head, nor o'er spak him more than was ned, and that was side in forma and reverence and short and quick and full of his sentence. Sooning in moral virtue was his speech, and gladly would he learn, and gladly teach. It seems dangerous. Dangerous? Well, is Jeff quite enamoured with him and everything that he has and his learning and so on, but is his soul perhaps in... In jeopardy? Yeah. Uh, from sloth because he's so dedicated to learning? Or am I seeing Faustus's everywhere? Well, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. It hadn't really th- I hadn't ever thought of him quite like that. It seems to me to be quite an approving kind of... Um, okay. But but no, I'm, I'm open to suggestions. Well, he said, yeah, gladly learn, gladly teach. He's always... He's full of... His speech is full of moral virtue, but are his actions and... Ah. <laughs> am I being well, too cynical? <laughs> Um. Mm. Yeah, look, well, let's go through it and let's okay. think about <laughs> Sorry. it. No, 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 no. That's a, it's an interesting possibility. Because, as I said earlier, there are only three sort of quasi-idealised portraits in there. And this is one. Well, the, the, the knight is theoretically idealised, but there's mm. that tension between the ideal... And the reality. And the reality of, of the late 14th century, by which time it had degenerated into a... Basically, a mercenary profession. Mm. 
Um, the parson is is clearly an ideal. I mean, they're still real. These people they're not they're not allegorical figures. They're still real. But uh, and the plowman. Mm. So the three... That checks out. Yes. So <laughs> you're either a fighter, a prayer, or a worker. Yeah. But your work is labour for the common good. The ploughman ploughs the field and everybody eats the bread. Unlike, for example, the merchant we met earlier, yeah. who works, but for his own gain. Yeah. So he doesn't, he doesn't fit into this medieval dream of the ideal society. Yeah. <laughs> Bad news for medieval folk. Well, yes, I know. I know. So, there was a clerk from Oxford, Oxenford. It was a, obviously a Ford, uh, which you drove your oxen through. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. A thoroughfare. A thoroughfare over the River Isis. Okay. Oh, right. That's the name of the river there. Yep. <laughs> But onto logic, how long you go? Now, logic is, of course, as you know, there were seven seven liberal arts. They're mm-hmm. called, and the idea of the liberal arts is not so much for themselves as learning, but for as providing tools for understanding and analysis and so on. This is your grammar, rhetoric, logic. Yeah. So your first year, your trivium mm-hmm. is grammar, rhetoric, logic. So mm. ways of Understanding, you know, spoken language and using spoken language, and so in other words, I mean, this is—it's a perfect we system, bring it really. Back, I agree. We should yeah. bring it back because no. because then you can express yourself. Once you've mastered grammar, logic, and rhetoric, you can start writing essays. Mm. But you've got nothing to write about yet. Mm-hmm. So in your later, in your second third years and so on, you study the four sciences of of geometry and music and astronomy. No. Astronomy, yes, astronomy is one yep. of them. Yeah, that's right. And uh, mathematics. Mathematics, yeah. Well, geometry. Yeah. Um, Look, I'm sorry. I'm, that's all right. My memory is failing me here. What are they called? The four. Well, the, the, the quadrivium, in fact, because trivia, three, three via ways. So, and of course, it's where we get the word trivial from, because people thought, oh, yes, that's what you do in your first year. That's trivial stuff. Ah, yeah. made my day. Arithmetic, <laughs> geometry, astronomy, and music. Ah, thank you, music. I was forgetting music. Yeah. Okay. I was forgetting music. Yeah. Hmm. Music. Yeah. They yeah, don't teach that anymore, do they? No. Well, but music was felt to be the, the structure of the universe, of the cosmos. Oh. All of the universe danced to the music of the spheres. You tell them an M that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. The ontologic. <coughs> so the, the Zay gone longer into logic is to say his first year studies were long in the past. Can't relate. <laughs> so he's not a student exactly. Except, you know, the word student in Oxford uh, is sometimes used in the way that the word fellow is used in Cambridge. Okay. So you can, if you're a student of Christchurch, you're actually a fellow of the college. Okay. Meaning full of learning and yeah, mm. so you yeah you well you're, you're worthwhile. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're academic. You're a don. You're a, right. You're yeah. You're a someone mm. as opposed to a yes landsman. <laughs> well, as opposed to a beginner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. His horse is as lean as a rake. He hasn't got lots of money. You know, you don't go into academia for the money. As <laughs> we, we do. We don't. <laughs> 
We do not. We do not. Mm. Nobody does. Basically, go into it for curiosity. Mm. Some people go into it for career power. and power. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, we don't talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Especially we don't drop any names. <laughs> so his horse is as lean as a rake. <laughs> it's not fed that much. And he wasn't very... And he was not right fat, I undertake. Not right fat. Which, of course, is a rather nice touch. So, in other words, he's not like the monk who's there basically just to eat and mm. fornicate. And he's, there for the, he's there for the learning. So, you know, he, he, he's working so hard on his books, he, he, he forgets lunch. And doesn't have money for lunch anyway. Well, that's yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it looked hollow and there too soberly. So he looks, he looks kind of sober and serious. And he's, not a, he's not a party animal. His, his clothing, his, oh yes, the kurupi, which is kind of over, over clothes, is threadbare. For he hadn't gotten him yet, no benefice. A benefice is basically... Scholarship? No, no, a benefice is um, a cure. It's a, it's a, being a vicar somewhere. Okay, a curate. Well, yeah, mean? exactly. Curate means looking after things. Okay. A vicar means being a substitute. Nowadays we use them where the vicar is... As the cure of a parish, and the curate looks after the parish when the vicar is elsewhere. Gotcha. Particularly if you had what's called pluralism. That's when one one chap has several benefices. <laughs> so he can't be everyone on a Sunday morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the curate has to step in. <laughs> if you're teaching at Clayton and Caulfield. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's right. That would be pluralism. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, good. <laughs> and in the old days, it was a bit of a corruption. Nowadays, in the modern church, it's a kind of necessity because... They don't have enough. Yeah. Who wants... There's no... Yeah, no. No, not enough vicars. <laughs> and the Catholics shoot themselves in the foot by not allowing women, of course, to be yeah. priests. I mean, I think a lot of women would have a good time. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. And be good for the community. Um, yeah. Because at this time you went to uni to be a priest, a lawyer... A doctor. A doctor. Mm. But there wasn't much... Doctoring. Well, you had to do the others <clears throat> first before you well, got to doctor. No, no, no. no you you, 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 you educated okay. to a profession. Huh. But that's what it was. A university was not a research institution like nowadays. Yes. Okay. Because TAFE. Priest TAFE. That's right. Priest, lawyer, doctor. Okay. You know the the, the learned professions mm. where you need to know stuff and apply it. Because, and, and the reason for this is that there's a very strong mindset in the Middle Ages, and this is one of the differences, really, one of the most important differences between the Middle Ages and what we call the Renaissance. A strong mindset that everything that's known is known or has been known and forgotten. You have to. There's no new knowledge to create. Yeah. God injected it all into the world at the beginning. Moses knew everything. Mm. Hermes Trismegistus knew everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we know we know nothing. We know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and our our children will know less. Mm. <laughs> and we're all going to hell in a handbasket. You know, it's kind of the opposite of of, of the modern sort of Whiggish idea of progress. The way, yeah, yeah. Getting better as time goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Human corruption, the fall, all that sort of stuff. 
So in medieval times, where you went to university to try and regain some of the knowledge that was lost, and by the time of the Renaissance, yes. a shift had happened. Yes, and there was a th- th- an idea that, that there was stuff could, out there. <laughs> yeah, there was stuff out there. You know, in fifteen forty-three, we have the publication of two seminal works: um, Copernicus, good, and De Revolutionibus Orbium Celestium, and Vesalius. They fabricate corpor- corporis humanum. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that opens up a whole new world, whole, the possibility that there's knowledge that just wasn't known in the past. Mm. You know, Moses had never heard of the spleen, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 1453, yeah? Yeah. When was the sack of Constantinople? Uh no, 1540, 1543. Okay. 1453 is the hey, second Okay, yeah. Like, oh, I'm yeah. paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And, of course, that was a big stimulus because mm. it unleashed a flood of Greek manuscripts into the Western world. Um, all those early so Greek exciting. scientists. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Because previously, Greek science had been filtered through Arabic, which is all very... I mean, it's good. And, you know, the, um, the Arab... Philosophers in the Middle Ages were yeah, hugely important, in, yeah. and they were marvellous. And they, you know, they advanced optics and all sorts of sciences, and they made great commentaries. Mm. Um, Averroes was the great commentator on Aristotle, for example. I won't attempt his Arabic name. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then the West stormed in and burnt everything to the ground again, or. No, 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 no. no. They, they were, these, these Arabic philosophers were revered. Okay. It, basically, what happened was a lot of these Arabic texts in, in Spain, which was under the, under the Muslims, a very liberal, open place. Mm. You know, when the Christians took over, it became Inquisition and burning and, and banishing everybody except true blue Catholics. Yeah. So, so Toledo was a centre where Western and Eastern scholars could meet and where Arabic texts, which were versions of the Greek texts that had been lost to the West, and they could were translate to, them into, into Latin. Wow. Yeah. Huge stimulus to the thinking. And, uh, yeah. Very, Very cool. exciting. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Averroes was a very important figure in, in the West. Hmm. Well, so, we were talking about the difference between universities. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, now it's not like, you know, the point is you put a bunch of very bright people together and for a conference for a conference <laughs> <laughs> or even just in the university there will be some exploration you know you, and, and in fact there are some interesting developments for example the University of Paris in the late um, 12th century stimulated by Aristotle but kind of reacting against Aristotle in terms of physics Seeing that Aristotle had basically just made a dog's breakfast of the whole... <laughs> made it up, really. Well, yeah. yeah well, let's call Space Spain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there, was, there were quite interesting developments, but the lack of printing, um, the yeah. confinement of knowledge due to local and so on, meant that this didn't really get off the ground. We could have had modern science a lot earlier if the printing press had been invented a lot earlier. It's an interesting people, thought, people isn't it? People forget how big of a deal it was. Mm. The most important thing that happens in the Western world, in a way. Everything that was circulated that was written was obviously so time-consuming and expensive and mostly Ooh. religious, right? But the monks copying it out. And also, of course, monks aren't going to copy out anything that isn't yeah. approved by the abbot because the abbot is forking out big money for vellum and for monks' time. So it's got to be religious. Yeah. 
So, you know, the few medieval secular poems we have are scribbled in the margins of religious texts by a bored monk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, basically, so I mean, I'm not saying that they were absolutely devoid of intellectual um, speculation and so on, but it wasn't encouraged and it wasn't part of the plan. Mm. They were essentially vocational institutions. Okay, yeah, hey. but, but they did they did equip you to think about the world and to think rationally. You know, logic, rhetoric, and grammar are pretty good pretty good foundation for for mm. independent thought in some ways. Mm. Which is why I think you know we'd make a great first year, wouldn't it? I'd do it. I'd yeah. go back and start again. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yeah. So logic teaches you to think. Um, the grammar teaches you to you know the, the basics of putting it all together in terms of something written. And rhetoric teaches you to convey because it's no good having the best ideas in the world if you're a kind of idiot who can't convey it to anybody. Yes. Or make it so convincing. Yeah. Yeah. So. So just a way of saying that he's, 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 he's quite advanced as a scholar. So, but he has no benefice yet, so he's been there a while. I mean, he yeah, has no benefice yet. What, is that irony or what? I mean, is this mm. Jeff saying, but of course he'll really want to go off and, and, and be getting himself a benefice. Um, or is it saying that he's not very good? He's not, or no, no, it's saying that he's not really interested in preaching to ploughmen. <laughs> Ah. He wants to, he wants to bury himself. Well, yeah, exactly. Gladly will he learn and gladly teach. But teach doesn't mean preach. I mean, mm. It means, you know, pass on your learning to other scholars. Hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely line, that. Um, in a sense, it's a kind of scholar's idea, isn't it? Gladly will he learn and gladly teach. That's what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. You're pleased to discover something, and you're also equally pleased to pass it on. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't think that there's any any real condemnation of okay. him. I mean, he's he's from a worldly point of view, he looks a bit ridiculous. Of course, he's he's, he's not feeding himself. He's sitting up all night reading. To the... us, I don't think <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Although I suppose we live in a time where you can buy. Yo-yos by the dozen and have them next to you work. Well, that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A Fredo frog for every five essays marked. But <laughs> that's a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> Some days it's all you've got. <laughs> that's right. um, was so worldly for to have office, so he's not—he's not worldly enough to get himself some kind of office in the world where he can make money. So you know, <laughs> mm. so it's actually clear enough that he's a scholar. He's not interested in that. No. Yeah. Exactly, it's the life of the mind he's interested in. For he would rather have at his bedhead uh. twenty books clad in black or red of Aristotle and his philosophy. That's the really intellectually exciting thing in this period. So sweet. Yes. Now, you know, when Aristotle first came back into the Western world, partly, well, for various reasons, I suppose, but in the, in the late um, 12th century... Okay. He was, mm. seems rather dangerous and uh, destabilising because there are parts of Aristotle you can't... Because it challenged Christian Yes, views. parts of it do, yeah. Okay. Aristotle believes that... So they that tried they... to smush it in. Well, no, the first thing they did was try to ban it. The University of Paris banned Aristotle as a dangerous influence. <laughs> it's just funny, isn't it? 
but but this was like you know, King Canute with the tide. You really couldn't yeah. do it. And so yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, then the great effort, as in St Thomas Aquinas, was to reconcile this wonderful system of Aristotle's. Because of course Aristotle, I mean, as a physicist, he's crap. Understand, but um, as a thinker about everything else, about politics and ethics and government and law and all sorts of things, even biologists, he got some of his biology interestingly correct, um, hmm. though a lot of it was a bit mad. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, as a systematic thinker, he, he it was irresistible to try to reconcile. Yeah. Christian theology to Aristotelian thought and logic and so on and that's what Aquinas does in the Summa Theologica oh, okay. it's an Aristotelianization of Christianity <laughs> and that was incredibly influential yes yeah, okay. hugely yep. influential in fact he's known as just as Aristotle used to be called the philosopher Aquinas is the biggie. Well, he's the learned doctor. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah, mm. right. Mm. And he's the one everyone remembers. He, he's, he's, the, he's the biggie. He, I mean, basically, he frames so much of Catholic doctrine. More than Augustine? Augustine? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Much more. Well, Augustine kicks it along. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but he's not a systematic thinker in the way that Aquinas right. is. Right. Okay. Mm. Very interesting. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he'd rather his books than his robes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but the point is, he w- he would rather have twenty books of Aristotle, but uh, books were fantastically expensive in this period, mm. like buying a jet aircraft or something. Because you know, again, the vellum, the monks, the time. Yeah, books books were high status objects, of course, like the famous. You know, the, the très richeur du Duc de Berry? Well, uh, the, the books of ours were... Oh, yes. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful things. Beautifully illustrated. Yes. And they're prayer books and so on. But they're, they're they were way heirlooms. more objects of beauty than they need to be as prayer books and, you know, positive psalms and things. Mm. Um, and then and, and the, the Duc de Berry was a hugely wealthy... French noble of the early 15th century and he has this marvellous book of hours called Les Très Richeurs The Very Rich Hours hmm. and it's beautiful you, you, you can get um, reproductions of you know, illustrations Wow! Um, all the seasons all the months with the typical labours mm. and so on and hunting scenes ploughing scenes and Would part of it, of it had been that producing the image to go with the words was part of kind of the worship you know people had a lot more appreciation for the role of art in worship than today well they did yes absolutely and of course it's a very very catholic thing yeah and a status symbol you engage yeah you but it's much more a status yeah that's what it's really about Mm. because who could who could afford this you know yeah yeah so you you know you'd show it to people but they mustn't touch i imagine (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. So a pair of brothers, the Lini brothers, I've forgotten their name now, who were responsible for many of the illustrations in there. There's a February is a wonderful image. Um, it's it's a snowbound scene, and all the sheep are penned up in a sort of pasture, and then you've got a cutaway of the, of the peasant's cottage, 
where a, an aristocratic lady has taken refuge from the snow. Oh. And they're sitting in front of a fire, and the, the peasant and his wife have both, they're both not wearing any undergarments, and they've spread their legs to toast their, <laughs> toast their nether regions against the fire. And the lady is, is kind of looking away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that? Oh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> She's, it She's like, oh, I, oh, yeah, yeah. well. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's funny. <laughs> exactly, it's funny. It's gorgeous. But also gorgeous. They're, they're, they're just wonderful illustrations. They're marvellous. Yeah, wow. Where is it on display now? Somewhere? I don't know. I've, I've got a lovely reproduction of it at home. I should bring it in. <laughs> yes, hmm. you should. <laughs> okay, there it is. Oh, it's in the Louvre. Ah, of course. Yep. Hmm, wow. Again, survived. How much of that didn't survive? Mm. Medieval warfare, which consists basically in burning everything down. Yes. So, yeah. So, the poor clerk's dream of owning 20 books of Aristotle is he might as well dream of you know, owning a Rolls Royce and a which private is- jet. So bizarre because now you could anyone could have those yes. three books and Pick but nobody would shop. be able to in, understand them the way that he. No, could. it's like it's lost. No, it's like exactly. At your fingertips, but nobody's. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice irony, isn't it? It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts. Mm. Yeah. So yes. Um. So he'd rather have that than rich robes or fiddles <laughs> or anything, you know, any kind of any kind of rich stuff, basically any kind of status symbol. Because I could I, I just say that that might not look irony because these, these books of ours are very much status symbols, but works of Aristotle would not be, they'd not be beautifully illustrated and so on. They'd be very utilitarian. Mm. Mm. Works. They'd just be Aristotle in Latin, of course, because nobody could read Greek in this day, this period. Um, when did it come back? Greek. Well, the Renaissance, really. Well, again. Well, okay. Yeah. Remember the fall of Constantinople? All these Greek scholars fleeing west with their manuscripts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you get Ald- Aldus Minutius, you know, the, the famous Venetian yes. uh, bookmaker. Okay. He, he produces these these wonderful. Beautiful uh, printed Greek works of Aristotle and his philosophy. Wow. <laughs> so what he's got is is Aristotle, but Aristotle passed through Arabic and then into Latin with commentary by Arabic scholars and other people, and so it's in that kind of accretion. It's like, but um, yeah. you know, great stuff because. Yeah. Because all these people will say, you know, yeah, Aristotle's sort of right here, but I think he's got this bit wrong. And somebody else says, ah, yes, but. A bit like the comments section on, you know. Mm. Well, 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 no, no, not like the comments. <laughs> no. <laughs> what it should be in the comments yes, section. Yes, what it should be. <laughs> Wouldn't that be Organized, wonderful if it were? light debate. Intelligent. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. Good luck. No, no. No, if, if, um, if a Martian came to Earth, it's not the first thing we'd show off. I think they've come and they've looked and they've gone. <laughs> not right. worth our time, folks. Get back in the plane. Exactly. <laughs> so, 
And again, uh, repeating the idea, even though he was a philosopher, he had a little gold in his chest. Mm. And of course, it, that's an allusion to the whole idea of the philosopher's stone, oh. the, <coughs> the alchemical search for um, something that transmutes base metal into gold. Mm-hmm. But of course, I mean, it's a mistake to think of, of, of alchemy like that, because alchemy... Um, in fact, there's an alchemist sort of coming up later on, so maybe I shan't say too much about it, but alchemy is very much an intellectual pursuit. Gold is almost a metaphor for seeking some kind of ultimate truth, you know. Right, by mixing rocks together. Well... <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, So it's, it's totally... It's the origins of modern chemistry, mm. in a way. Uh, yeah. Heating I mean, stuff. Metallurgist. Yeah, all that stuff, all that stuff. And, of course, there's that strong... Um, sense in which iron working and metal and, and, and indeed smelting creation, God they're magic yeah. you take a lumpy old you know, mangy bit of metal and you turn it a uh, uh, rock and you turn it into a, a necklace or a, a, a spear or a sword yeah, yeah. Again. only gods can do that uh, yeah hmm. by the mystery of fire okay hmm. yep makes sense now <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so it's a joke. <laughs> he's, uh, he's not pursuing the philosopher's stone, and and of course, the funny thing is about that idea of the philosopher's stone is that um, in, if you were to ever attain to that kind of knowledge, you could only do so by being like this man, ascetic and you know self-disciplined and and holy and mm. spiritual in your contemplation. So, the kind of the kind of person who could find the philosopher's stone as something that would turn everything into gold is exactly the person who's got no use for it mm. as a mm. that level. But rather, of course, gold, you know, gold is a symbol of the perfect, the enduring, the unchangeable, the the untarnishable. It's the closest we could get to touching God. Yes. Hmm. And the, the, that's why the floors of heaven, the papers are gold. gold. Yes. Okay. Right. Hmm. Silver's no good. Silver tarnishes. The gold. Hmm. You know, you could you could open up an Egyptian tomb tomorrow, and there'd be beautiful, perfect gold in there. Hmm. Hadn't been changed by anything. Cool. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about symbolism. Um. Nick's whole job is figuring out how to make get the gold out of dirt. Oh right, well there we are. <laughs> That's his whole thing and make it a more refined process. So. There we are. Gosh, well he's, he's engaged in a spiritual pursuit. I'll tell him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everything he might get of his friends, <laughs> he spends it on books and on learning, <laughs> and. He, used, he would pray for the souls of those that gave him wherewith to scholai, uh, money to, you know, to, to, to basically be a scholar with. Ah, oh, scholarship. Scholarship, yeah. I mean, not formal scholarships, I suppose, but, you know. Loans and... Or, you know, take this, my man. And, but the point is, you see, you're, you're, a, rich, you're a rich woman. Uh, okay? Let's pretend, yeah. Yes. <laughs> let's pretend, yes. <laughs> But you've committed a few sins. Ah, one or two. You've had a few lovers drowned, you know. Oh, who hasn't? Who hasn't? Carry on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so you want to be sure your soul is okay, uh-huh. God. 
Say you find a poor scholar and you say, Here, Mr. Poor Scholar, take this bag of gold and do your scholaring. Let's swap this. I am a poor scholar. Where do I find rich ladies who have committed sins? (laughs) (laughs) Where do they hang about? (laughs) Exactly. Perhaps perhaps a small ads. Rich lady with gold seeks poor scholar. On hinge. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. But anyway. Okay. So that's what... So, so in other words, it's, 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 a, it's a good deed, a virtuous deed, which will earn you kudos with God if you give money to scholars. Hmm. And just general charity, too, is also good, you know. And you're, you're basically, it's kind of insurance yeah. for your soul. And I suppose they make you feel good about it when they say, oh, thank you very much. Yes, that's right. <laughs> now I can eat. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Now I can eat and study Aristotle. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. I, mean, I, I don't know whether fellows of colleges received any kind of stipend. Maybe they did, I don't know. Oh, um, if you, as a, as, a, as a teacher, as a, a student in that Oxford sense, you might gather around you um, pupils mm. because you've got eminence and you're clear learning and, mm. and then they would, they would pay you pennies. Oh, to teach them. I'm sorry, I only pay you in yo-yos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and very nice too. <laughs> right. Mm. Let's throw a penny in the fountain for you. That's right. So this is before the whole thing formalised into you know, structures. Chaos. Mm. Well, no. yeah. A university that prescribes exams and grants degrees and Stands so on. on its most important members. Yeah, no, we're not bitter. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, you've got a lean spiritual scholar praying for your soul. Kudos. You're getting through purgatory faster. Less torment, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, of study, he took most care. He was most heedful about. He never said a single word more than was necessary. And that, in... It was formal and reverent and nicely framed, um, short and quick, and full of high sentence. High sentence means um, important, serious, weighty matters. Okay. He, he, he wasn't chatting about, you know, who, what, what celebrity was shagging what celebrity. Yeah. No. He was talking to you about, you know, the. the Platonic ideals and, and, and things like that. Hmm. You know. hmm. So lovely, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Have a coffee with him. <laughs> yes, sooning in moral virtue as a speech. So he's, he's he's full of he's sounding in moral virtue as his speech. So he is an ideal. I think he is because you know you can't say well yeah but but. Where's the naughty? I mean, you, you 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 could say from a certain lofty pinnacle that this is you know a certain churchmen would see this as an overdue concentration on yeah. the secular. Although he you know, he, 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 he praised, but he praised people who give him money. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's not something that we would want to condemn, and I don't think it's something that Chaucer would. Because well, you know, that's what I'm thinking. Chaucer wouldn't. No, because Chaucer is a kind of proto-humanist. Mm. He's way too early to be a true humanist, mm. but I think he is a kind of proto-humanist. 
in the way Petrarch was, of course. And Petrarch was a real humanist. <laughs> and Petrarch, <laughs> Petrarch is prior to Chaucer, but Italy was always a little bit ahead. Yeah, a lot. Ahead. <laughs> I mean, basically, England still had the 15th century to get through. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, sooning and moral virtue was So, I mean, you know, Jeff admires excellence as he sees it. Sometimes he gets it right, like a clock, you know, that's stuck at 12 o'clock. <laughs> it's sometimes going to be right. Okay. Um, and gladly walking down and gladly take you. That's such a nice line that, you know, it's often used in, you know, eulogies of scholars. Or, oh, that's nice. Yes. Oh, that's what you want. That's, that's what you yeah. want, yes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so it's a great, it's a great, um, a great portrait. Then we have our sergeant of the law as a, as a court officer, you know. A sergeant of the law, war and wheeze, that often had the bane of the fairy parvies, that was also a full rich of excellence, discreet he was and of great reverence. He seemed switch, his words weren't so wheeze. Now you see, just occasionally, um, just as we were saying, you know, where, where Swift has his persona, for example, in Modest Proposal, where just occasionally ironic Swift peeps through, mm-hmm. makes an observation and then disappears again. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly here, um, he was discreet and of great reverence. <laughs> he seemed such. His words were so wise. Uh, now, yeah. Jeff, of course, would take the words for the thing. But the Chaucer person who wrote, is yeah, Chaucer. making fun. So Chaucer's <laughs> just put, sticking his head into the poem at one point and <laughs> yep. taking over... A bit, a bit in the way that um, Eddie, you know, Eddie does that the other way around in... in yes. <laughs> in The Fairy Queen. It's something he wants to say about him. There's no way Jeff could say that. No, so he has to figure out a way of putting it in Jeff's voice. Yes. So, yeah, nice, mm. clever. <laughs> clever. Just as it was full of the, often in a season, we patterned and we plying commission. There's sort of legal terminology coming in here. For his science and for his hair and un. Science just means knowledge, of course. And high renown. Of fairs and robbers had he money on. So great a purchaser was not known. All was faint, all was fair simple to him, in effect. His purchasing might not been in fact. Yeah, well, we'll come back to all this. <laughs> Nowhere so busy a man as he, he there was. And yet, he's same busier than he was. And again, that's, that's not Jeffy. <laughs> in terms had he cast some domers all that from the team of King William were fall. That though he could indeed and mark a thing that could as wit no wit pinching at his reading, and every statute could he ply and be wrought. He rode but homely in a medley court, girt with a sight of silk with barren smaller, who was a rye. Tell any longer, Langatala. And again, he always ends with how these people are dressed, which is what he promised, actually, in that. Remember in the first? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they can put a light, they put in. A 
fashion column. <laughs> the fashion column, that's right. So he's basically a sergeant of the law. He's a sort of uh, a court official, I suppose you could say. Uh, like the Queen's Council? Uh, no, he's not, not quite so elevated. No, okay. more like a sort of um, officer of court. Officer of the court, uh, you know. Like, um... Twelve Angry Men, the fella. Um... Let's the men and out. Oh. oh, yeah, something like that. Yes. Yeah, okay. That's right, that's right. It's a great film, isn't it? Well, I'm thinking of the play. But yes, <laughs> the but, kids all have to do the play. It well, it's perfect for it. I mean, because, of course, it's set in one... Yeah, it's a really good literary work. Yeah. yeah. A bit lost on 14-year-olds, right. but anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, again... There's less to him than meets the eye, this person here. Mm. Um, but he looks elevated and... And, and, and wise and pompous and full of... And we're juxtaposing this with the clerk. Yes, exactly, <laughs> who, who is the real McCoy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff shouldn't be able to tell the difference. Mm. But maybe, maybe the juxtaposition is quite good here because maybe even Jeff is so impressed by the genuineness of the clerks... Um, that he misses. That he... Then, the next, when the next one comes along and it's clearly false, even Jeff can notice it by by the comparison. Mm. Maybe. Mm. I mean, that might be what was in the back of his mind. You know, he's also an officer who, who purchases things for the court and so on. So there's room for corruption here. Of course. There's always room for corruption. Everywhere. Everywhere. That's right. Now this line, all was. Fee simple to him, in effect. Hmm. It, it means fee simple means absolute possession of something. Okay. Uh, so basically, he's, he's got a bit like finger, you know, he hangs uh, on to stuff. And, oh well. Oh well. He would. He would. That's right. Hard times. Hard times. Yeah. Um, and he's got all the language, is, is the point. This often happens. It's like some of the religious people. They they know all the, all the words to impress people. Yeah. Like scholars. Uh, well, is, like um, some. Percy's wanting people to define. Um, he goes around asking what. Oh God. The big fancy literary theory of the eighties. Oh, deconstruction. Thank you. Mm. What's what is deconstruction? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, that's people right. People know the words, but that's right. Do they know any literature? No, exactly. <laughs> and then the word get, it, students use it to mean analyse. Oh. I've deconstructed this poem. No, you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you haven't. Yeah. yeah. Okay, like that. <laughs> like that, exactly. People who go to the conference with the buzzwords, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tedious, isn't it? Yes. Mm. <laughs> So he's, he's, he's good at the words, he's good at impressing people with the terms, the legal terms. And of course, you know, there were even more in this period because there was still in a period where French was the, the language of the law. And it wasn't really proper French anymore because it goes back to William the Conqueror. So it's been divorced from contemporary French. It's called Law French. And Law French... Not much survives into modern English. Though a lot of the terms, you know, of course, a lot of the legal terms are, are French in origin. Hmm. Um, 
sometimes when you get those pairs, uh, I, I give and devise unto my heirs, you know. Oh, okay. That's Saxon and French. So everybody understands what you're saying. Huh. <laughs> that's why they're given device. Yes, that's right. That's right. Because it's, otherwise it's tautological, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, very, very often. Not always. Not always. I mean, cease and desist is not tautological. To have and to hold? No, that's never right. To have and to hold? Uh, they're, both, they're both Saxon, of course. Yeah. No, but that's... You have it now, but you hold it forever. Okay, okay. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> cease and desist. Cease and desist. Stop doing it and don't start again. Hmm. Clever. Language of the law is quite fun, actually. (laughs) Lost me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been invented by lots of smart people over the centuries, you know. Mm. Mm. Um, It's actually very interesting, you know, but being a lawyer and being a literary scholar... Very similar. Very similar. Analytical mind. Yes. You've got to know your theory and your... Yeah, yeah, and you've got to know... What do these words mean? What can they not mean? What might they mean? What they've meant at different times, how exactly. that has changed, yeah. the context of that meaning. That is the body of the law. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Exactly. Hmm. I used to get little um, inquiries from law firms. Um, there were, for example, are these two terms confusable because somebody would bring out a patent medicine and then somebody else would bring out something with the same stuff in it but cheaper with a name that was kind of similar but not identical and so there'd be lawsuits where I would have to sort of really yeah they'd get on the internet or How, they just oh they were, I think the point is they would write to the English department and these things always funnel to me but <laughs> yeah. I would get all the queries from the public about you know can I use an apostrophe here and what my boss says I can't use an apostrophe here. Yeah. That kind of thing. Ah, do you still get them? No, no, I don't. No, I miss them really, right? <laughs> well, I mean, do we still get them at all? Probably not. Probably not. I, there was a correspondence with a chap in, in um, oh, what, a prison up in the north of the state. Right. Um, about Scrabble. Bless his cotton socks. I know, because he's playing Scrabble with his fellow prisoners and they wanted some rulings on certain words and so on. I thought I'd be very careful here. <laughs> so they wrote to you? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's very wholesome. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you can cut all this yeah. out. Um, but, um, oh, I don't know, it's endearing. <laughs> people would ring up sometimes and they'd say, look, um, I, I've, got, I've got this query about, about this usage here, or this word, and my boss says I can't do it. And so... Then you hear them say, look, I've got Dr. Peter Groves of the university on the phone here. Um, (laughs) I need to have to do the defence. Well, and then I I would give my judgement. (laughs) And if it went against their usage and in favour of somebody else's or the boss's, they'd say, oh, well, thank you for your opinion, Dr. Groves. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) So something about a, a, a bird... Professor, you know, and he once got a call, a drunken call came through, must have found his phone number or something from all of these people in a pub somewhere, like, you know, what is this bird? Da, da, da. And he said the answer, and there was a cheer in the background. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, now. It's an email. And this is way before the age of, you know, 
my ignorance is better than your knowledge, which is... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yes. I've done my research on YouTube. Mm. Mm. (laughs) I've discovered that bleach cures COVID. (laughs) And the moon is an illusion. (laughs) So he knows all the words. And he knows all the cases by heart. He's not, he's not thinking about anything, but no, he's... No, he's not an active mind, is he? No, no, but he, he can quote you what statute this is, and which are kind of useful if you haven't got lots of books, mm. sort of. And this is the thing, people's memories very often were much better at that task because it was often necessary. You didn't have books handy. I mean, you know, we'd be sitting here, we wouldn't have all these books handy, but we could suddenly pick up and... So we'd I need to rem- a lot lately. Mm. Yeah. So mem- mem- memory would be trained in. You're, you're f- I mean, you're familiar with some of the old arts of memory, I suppose. Acronyms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what you telling me about the one for the Byronic hero that? You're oh, a, a mnemonic. Yeah, a mnemonic. Mnemonic. Thank yes, you. yes, yes, mnemonics. Uh, no, no, mnemonics are good. Okay. All the ones with the plants, of course, have to drop the P at the end now. I used to remember uh, mine as many volcanoes erupt mulberry jam sandwiches under normal pressure. Who? Many of them? Mars. Oh, sorry, not Mar- Mar- uh, Mercury. <laughs> Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, <laughs> Jupiter, Saturn, um, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. Pluto. Okay. But See, you- I just learnt. Yeah, we didn't have a mnemonic. No mnemonic. Or there's, wow, oh, be a fine girl, kiss me right now, sweetheart. That's the the star types in order of surface temperature. <laughs> OK, well, that you would need mnemonic <laughs> for. I mean, always eat soggy wheat mix. <laughs> What's that? Um, uh, North, South. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Richard of York gave battle in vain. It's the colours of the rainbow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, orange, yellow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but we've learned so much. <laughs> yeah. So suppose, you, suppose you're a medieval orator. I would love to be. You're, you're having so many roles today. It's true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I say, do them all so well. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've got a lengthy speech to memorise. You've written your speech according to the art of, of, of rhetoric, and you've given it the structure, you know, the exordium and so on, and the, the argumentum and so on. You can, it's, it's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty, your speech. Like my conference paper. Yeah, can Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This written in between naps. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you can't read a speech. You've got to speak a speech. Yes. So... What you do is, you first of all, you, you imagine some known, moderately complex place, like it's in a cathedral, a large building, and you imagine yourself walking around it in a particular way, so that you pass a sequence of familiar objects. Here's, here is the statue of Plato, <laughs> here is the, you know, the, the spinning wheel, whatever. Yep. <laughs> And then you simply associate successive segments of your speech with the visual images that you pass in your mental tour around this known okay. monumental structure. 
And this is an ancient Greek technique. It sounds very time-consuming already, but carry on. Well, <laughs> but it's a fit in action. I'm sure it was. <laughs> it works. People have done it. It yeah. works. There's a book by Francis Yates called The, Art of, the Ancient Art of Memory. Hmm. And, of course, it was resuscitated in the Renaissance. And I think in... I think in the Middle Ages they must have used it too. We definitely used it in BCE. Oh, really? Yeah, to, I think PE taught us to do that because oh. there was so much memorisation. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think they learnt the chambers of the heart and the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, that was one of those technologies of memory that allowed people to say, ah, yes, that was chapter 32 of. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, clever. Hmm. Maybe I should learn my English kings that way. Oh, yes. They get muddled. <laughs> I, I, can, I can remember I, pretty well. I know you can. <laughs> yes, of course you can. <laughs> so, oh, and, you know, and nobody, could, nobody could complain about it in writing. It's very lovely, neat writing. But, again, that... That that actually works because for Jeff that's just praise. Lovely writing, yeah, writes so well. For somebody who's more intelligent than Jeff, it's it's a qualification because you know he writes very well. But what is he writing? Is it of any value? Any worth? Any yeah. use to, to like man or beast? First year students who have the beautiful note taking. Yes. Technique. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Oh yes, beautifully set out and. Yeah. But then you notice that they've they've just included everything like your jokes in their le- in their lecture notes. Well, I still include your jokes, but that's <laughs> <laughs> But yes, exactly. And then the good notes are like it's scribbled and it's upside yes. well, it's this shit. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But also it's like is remember we talked about Gracian implicature? Yes. Mm. Well Stank <laughs> <laughs> Silly about it. <laughs> suppose suppose somebody you were interviewing somebody for a, a, a lecturer's job. And one of the referees <laughs> said... It's very nice handwriting. <laughs> yes, very nice handwriting. You think... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's his emails on time. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Always stands his round at the pub. <laughs> well, I mean, that that is important. <laughs> that is important. Yeah. <laughs> That'll get you a job in Australia. <laughs> so he wrote... He ri- again, he rides but homely in the middle. He too is not ostentation in his dress. But his lack of ostentation is a disguise because he's pilfering away like mad. Yeah. Unlike okay. the, uh, and we're meant to compare it with the the students, the clerks' um, lack of ostentation, which is because he's got nothing to ostend mm. to use the un, not very often used verb. Ostend. To ostend. Okay. Yeah. To show off. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Whereas, whereas the clerk, uh, the, the the sergeant at law, if you know, if he start, he, he's bright. Yeah, people he start know, flashing he stuff around. Him, where did he get that from? You know, he's just, he's just the sergeant at law. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That was the problem with the great train robbery that they all started <laughs> buying flash cars and things. <laughs> Not very bright. But criminals aren't on the whole very bright, are they? Mm-hmm. Now we have the Franklin. What the heck? Is a Franklin. What? Good question. <laughs> it's come down to us as a surname, of course, isn't it? Like yeah. Benjamin, yeah. Well, Franklin is a wealthy landowner. Okay, like a, um, a yeoman? Well, like a yeoman in later times. Like, okay. Um, a, a, a Elizabethan yeoman, yeah. 
Okay. Well, a Franklin is, is probably a cut up even from that, a, a sort of step up. So they'd live into a rack? Very possibly. Okay. Yeah. I'm just uh, they'd have lots of money, lots of conspicuous consumption. They'd be flashing it about. Mm. But, and they'd be landowners, of course. But they're not gentry. They're not the real McCoy. Rough for them. Well, I know, yeah. But would you Would you care? I well, I think you'd care then. Yeah. Probably. Okay. People, I mean, people cared about that in Jane Austen's time, so they'd certainly <laughs> care. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, some people might have, you know, peasants might have thought of them as gentry, but they aren't properly gentry. There's a, there's a real dividing line between gentry and non-gentry. Because it was God-given, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. You were chosen by God, whereas if you just had money, well... Yeah, money, money. Your soul's still in jeopardy, so, yeah. Exactly, even more so if you've got money. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so the top 5% of the population... It's funny how that's flopped, because now it's like if you have money... Oh. It's like you've been chosen. Yeah. You know, the neoliberal approach that... Yeah, mm, interesting. Well... You've worked hard and you've made something of yourself because you've got the... Exactly, and it's got something to do with, on some level, the, f- the flip from Catholicism to Protestantism. Of course. Mm. Mm. But we should, we should talk about that. But, um, have we? I thought we had. I'm sure we have in relation to Spencer. Yeah. yeah. Incidentally, for your podcast, why don't we do Dr. Forster's or something? I would love to. Yes. Please. We'll do it next. Uh, yeah, we'll do it next. We'll move it up. <laughs> Let's move it up before we get. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, then we can really go into it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Be fun. All of fun. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> we, we need lives. <laughs> <laughs> so, a Frankeline was in his compagnie, wit with his beard as is the diazy. Of, complex, of his complexion he was sanguine. Well, loved he be the more of a sop in ween. <laughs> the living in delete was ever his one. For he was Epicurus over in the sun, that held opinion that plain delete was veri felicite parfit. And of course, we met Epicureans in, in Dante. Hell. Yeah, we've seen them in hell. We've seen them in they hell. They are he- um, heretics. They are heretics. Well, that's how they're seen. I mean, the point is, of course, it's it's just a, a proper assessment of Epicureanism. Mm-hmm. But Epicurus. Was well, he, he was a materialist. So thank you. Yep. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he didn't believe in the gods. Yep. And he did believe that, um, therefore, the highest good was was pleasure in this world. Before you cark it and turn up your toes. But for Epicurus, pleasure isn't you know feeding and fornicating and. So it's uh, having uh, a nice walk in the grass. Oh, oh well, yeah, the but it's but virtue. Uh, virtue is the highest kind of pleasure. Okay. The warm glow of knowing that you've done the right thing. So he, he was he was very much um, maligned by the Middle Ages, Epicurus. Yeah, Epicurean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Husholder, and that a great was he. Saint Julian he was in his country. His bread, his all, was all the way after on the better invented man, who's nowhere known. Without a bark a mate was never his hoose, of fish and flesh, and that so plenteous, it snowed in his hoose of mate and drink, of all the dainties that men could think. 
after the sundry seasons of the year, so John Jerry is mate and his supper. Full many a fat patry cherry and mew, <laughs> and many a brem and many a lucid stew. Woe was his cook, but if his sauce were poignant and sharp, and ready all his gear. His table dormant in his hall all wise, stood ready covered all the longer die. At Sissions there was he lord and sheer, seer, well off the team he was knicht of the sheer. An anlass and a gypsum all of silk hang at his girdle, wheat as morna milk. <laughs> a shriver had he been, and a contour was nowhere such a worthy vavasour. Chaucer not Jeff doesn't seem to like him very much. No, no, no. <laughs> but he would have been similar, no? No. He didn't own land, but he was a wealthy businessman. Well, he, he was he was doing okay, I suppose. He was a wine merchant. Yeah. Also, he, he mixed in kind of higher circles. Yes, so he mustn't have liked these people. Maybe well, he saw them as spendthrifts. Yeah, well, well, more than that. I mean, he, he sees him as a kind of a sinful character. Wasting away, yeah. Uh, well, he, he's a glutton. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. What, yeah. The language isn't saying that directly, but it's a bit like with, you know, with the nun. There's so much emphasis with her upon food and how to handle it and not to dribble at the table. Mm. But it, it cumulatively suggests a preoccupation with food that's inappropriate for... Mm. the good Christian soul we must eat to live and not live to eat Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I like it oh yes and not to mention (laughs) yo-yos today's theme today's theme yes exactly so so Franklin in in this company of, of pilgrims white was his beard as a daisy it's a rather charming image, in a way, isn't it? It's fine, I suppose. yeah. He's always older. He's older. Of his complexion, he's sanguine. He's he's kind of red-faced. Now, being a sanguine complexion, we've got the four humours. Mm. Yeah, you know. There's a bit much drink involved, yes. Well, it could, well, it may be. But Overexcited, overly sexualized. Well, Sorry, yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> 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 we were, well, perhaps we're not going to the four humours... You can always look at the whole Wikipedia, I'm sure. Have we explained them before? This have is we? another episode. It says hours. Go have fun. Oh, um. okay. <laughs> okay. So, so sanguine complexion means you've got more than a normal amount of blood. blood. But it's the good one to have because it means... So young people yeah. tend to be sanguine. They tend to lose their sanguinity sure. as they grow older. They, they migrate off to other areas like choleric or melancholic or... But isn't you're full of blood, you're full of, you're full of blood, fervor, you're, you're full of sexuality le- and sexuality lust. Sexuality and, and lust, and you're bounding about like a young rope on the hillsides. Yeah. Yes, um, you're not necessarily fornicating like a rabbit, but... You're thinking about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. You're full of life. But of course, yes, it could be just that he drinks a lot, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that's what it is, and, and Jeff's missing it, but Chaucer's yes. pointing it out and being like, look at that red-cheeked fellow. That's right. <laughs> and, and slyly adding, well, loverty by the morrow in the morning, a sop, a sop in wine. A sop is a piece of bread, yeah. dip it in wine. Yeah. 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 For breakfast. I think it's an ironic <laughs> intervention by Chaucer. I think so, I think so. Well, again, remember... Remember that Jeff's he's like a sparrow or something. He's like well he's like Sylvie. Ooh. Yeah. Ah. Ooh. Or a golden oh. retriever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
So he's random in his observations. Mm. But Chaucer is a poet who's utterly not random. <laughs> you, you know, he hadn't heard of aleatory poetry. Mm. You, mm. You, you, you throw a dice and you put the line in on your... <laughs> well, it's a kind of good dark 20th century thing, isn't it? Okay, yeah, I guess. Mm. You, you, I don't know if you've come across this, but they have fridge magnets. I've got them. Oh. And we've got Scrabble ones. The, you didn't see them? <laughs> we've got the Edgar Allan Poe set of the magnets. Oh. So people come over and oh, right. write all sorts. But, but, but these are just random words that you put in your fridge. And then people make poetry out of them. Yes. Yeah. Which is, and that's aleatory. That's like the throw of a dice. Yeah. Uh, and that's a 20th century view of poetry, which is so alien. Because the whole idea is, you know, poetry is... The best words in the best order. Yeah. It is the most... Everything should be considered and placed where it goes. Thoughtful and contemplative and yeah. learned and... Exactly. Yeah, not people doing that with Edgar Allan Poe-themed words. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. But that's, that's it. So, so there's a lovely contrast between Jeff's randomness yeah. and Chaucer's precise placing of things. Yeah. The ironic effect. Mm. It's clever. Oh yeah. <laughs> to live in delight <coughs> was ever his, his his habit, for he was Epicurus' own son. <laughs> and he doesn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of Epicureanism? Well, it's a misunderstanding of Epicurus and his philosophy. It's a, it's a Christianized understanding, which is limited to saying these people aren't Christian; they're materialist. They don't believe in, you know, a great deity. And a justification as well. And therefore there must be evil. Yeah, okay. Wallowing in sensuality. Sounds like a good day to me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Whether... I mean, we don't know whether Chaucer believed that or not. Maybe he did. I mean, Dante seems to have entertained that idea, and Dante was pretty learned. So it was just a kind of medieval... Falsification. Uh, the, the thing is, of course, we have to remember that they still don't have full access to Greek originals. And, you know, Dante couldn't read Greek, Chaucer couldn't read Greek. Um, Greek comes in with the Renaissance, as we said. Mm. So a lot of these writers were known by hearsay, um, and particularly hearsay from early Christian writers. Which would have put a spin on it. Yeah, hugely. Yeah. yeah. So probably Chaucer shared this common view. I'm happy curious. Hmm. Not, not that it matters to us. I mean, we can't. Plain delight was was very felicity. Felicite, of course, has a particular resonance there. Plain, plain delight, plain delight was true, perfect felicity because felicity had a particular meaning, meaning the bliss of heaven. Remember, Horatio, Hamlet's sister Horatio. Absent thee from felicity a while, and in this harsh world, draw thy breath in pain. To tell my story. Hamlet. Very egotistical. Calm down. <laughs> Just to tell my story, you know. Just have a cup of tea and chill, bro. <laughs> yes, I do remember That's right. That's right. Um, a householder he was. A great householder. That's great. That's good. Because if you think about the 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 the, the manor house, mm-hmm. whether you're gentry, whether you're Sir Thomas Doodledad, mm-hmm. or whether you're a 
Franklin, it's it's more than just a house. Mm. It's a public space. It's a place where you hold, for example, courts. You know, local courts. Uh, Fred Nurk is caught poaching uh, some of those geese. Yeah, you take it to the you take it to the manor court. Mm. Ah. Yeah. So it, this doesn't go up to the sizes in London, you know. And it's dealt with. You go to the local big house, is what you're telling exactly. me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And also, there's a kind of understood duty, which is partly Christian and partly social, of hospitality and charity to to the people of the village. So you could come along to the, the great house and maybe, you know, get a cup of tea and a... And a and a wagon wheel, what's it called? Yo yo. Yo yo. Man of Rossi type stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, Magnanimous. Well, yeah. that ideal is still in existence, and the Man of Ross encapsulated. Well, well. Yeah. Yeah. There's an essay here on how Elon Musk is not the Man of Ross that oh, he Jesus thinks that he is. Christ. <laughs> well, that's how he tries to present himself. Yeah. What a, what a, what a. Oh, yeah. Sorry, excuse for a human being that man is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> Remember when he, he, he called that chap who was, he was trying to rescue the footballers a paedophile? Oh, yes. Because the cave, cause he had a go at him on Twitter or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk anyway, about being entitled. Come on. <laughs> so this is good. This is, this is a, well, uh, ostensibly good. It's appealing to this social ideal of the charitable. Lord of the Manor. Yeah. Not Lord of the Manor. That's the, the but, ideal. Yeah. He's meant, yeah. St. Julian. St. Julian is the patron saint of hospitality. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But the thing is, there's hospitality and there's hospitality. Yes. <laughs> there's genuine, come on in, I will dry your clothes. Yes. And there's, there's the lady in the gingerbread house who gets some Hansel and Gretel in to eat them. Well, there's that too. I know those are I two do. extremes, but it's like, are you wanting something out of the people who've come to stay? Or are you are you genuinely helping them? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And and uh, yes, you're not eating them in this case, I suspect. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're making yourself feel better. You're doing it. To well, it's, it's about, your it's name about display. Yeah, exactly. You're picking yourself up. Yes, yeah. exactly. Conspicuous magnanimity. <laughs> yes, conspicuous consumption, um, which is a display of wealth, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's the opposite of charity because charity treats others as subjects who are, who are in Human. need. Yeah. It treats people as help. objects who merely reflect your glory. Mm. So it's in fact... It's the complete reversal of what it pretends to be. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, of course, doesn't see this, but um, obviously, Chaucer does. So, his bread is always the best kind, <laughs> the finest bread. Remember the, the nun who feeds the very finest bread mm. to her dogs? <laughs> yes, the Queen's Corgi is probably better than most of That's right. the Middle East. So what's interesting, I mean, you know, to us, bread is bread. Except nowadays, you get, you know, you can get wholemeal and stuff, but it's all good. Mm. But in those days, you know, peasants would eat very coarse, rough bread, and the upper classes would would eat refined white bread, mm. soft, and there would be huge. There'd be a huge range of bread available, would you? <laughs> yes. If you, if you went I to, can only afford the bread with the pebbles in the street. Yes, that's right. That's right. Exactly. It's like chickens today. 
Well, there's a popular meme of um, standing... If you don't realise how bad things are in the economy until you're standing in the egg aisle reflecting on how much chicken happiness you can afford. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great range of eggs. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. (laughs) So his, his bread and his ale was always... So people came, yeah. Yeah, well, it's always good. In, in this period, of course, right up, really, into the 18th century, everybody made their own bread and made their own ale. They, or you, you could get ale to an ale house, obviously. It was easier that way, but you could still make your own ale. Mm-hmm. And, and a large house would do exactly that, because ale was the standard, as you know, the standard drink, because mm-hmm. you didn't drink the water, unless you were suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um... Like Tchaikovsky. He, Tchaikovsky died after imprudently drinking a glass of unboiled water. Mm. Straight from the sewers of St. Petersburg. Oh, no. Well, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Come on. <laughs> Come on, exactly. <laughs> Anything could have killed him then. Well, right. So, um, it's actually very interesting, you know. Um, the history of water. No, well, no, yeah, maybe, yeah. I'm sure. Well, everything is <laughs> Carry interesting. <on>. But <laughs> well, I'm thinking more of bread. Um, ah, yes. Yeah, because when you get to Robinson Crusoe... Yes. Um, and, and also to, to, to Humphrey Clinker, which by Smollett. Yeah. When you get to the 18th century, you've got, for the first time in history, a class of urban dwellers who don't make their own bread, who buy bread as a consumer item. So, so in Robinson Crusoe, there's a great fascination in him his making his own bread, you know. Learning how to make his own bread and producing it is part of the, the, the pleasure of the book and his own beer and all that kind like of stuff. Like COVID, everyone was making sourdough. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And... In Humphrey Clinker, it's it, are you doing a Humphrey Clinker? No, it's great fun. That's not... it's an epistolary novel. Okay, mid eighteenth century, uh, a delight. It's huge, huge fun. It's it's summer reading. It's a book you want to read on a sunny afternoon under a tree in your garden. Okay, I'm on board <laughs> <laughs> with my chickens. <laughs> with your chickens, yes, but because um, it's about a sort of about this family. Very grumpy, grumpy, grumpy old squire, and you know his naive daughter, and it's great fun. And they're making a tour of England, and they stop off at Bath. Oh, that's right. Yes, well, at Bath, they drink the waters. Oh no! And then Matthew, who's the grumpy one, points out that these <laughs> waters at Bath are sort of passing through the town sewer or something. It's quite disgusting. But also, in London, they find the bread. It's made out of, well, in order to make it white, because that's the sign of good bread, people put in chalk and they adulterate it with all sorts of crap. Like cocaine. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, and, and you know, these people are buying it in good faith because that's what you do. You, you don't make your bread anymore, you buy it from a baker. Mm. Um, well, you don't make your own cocaine anymore, you buy it from a baker. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, so it really is, you know, the 18th century is the beginnings of a kind of consumer society, as, as we knew, but it's nice to see it reflected in the literature. 
So, a better invited man with better wines. He's got a wonderful selection of wines. Now, bread and wine is interesting because bread and wine is almost you know, sacramental, isn't it? Mm. We're still kind of praising him, but the intelligent reader is thinking, hmm. It's the wrong place to go for your bread and wine, is what they're sort of saying. Yes, that's yeah, right. This isn't the actual. It's a bit secular. Yeah. <laughs> Without baked meat, his house, it always had baked meats like, oh, uh, what are they called? Yo-yos. That, <laughs> Yo-yos. It had baked meats. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, baked. Sweets. Well, yeah, baked, baked, yeah, baked meats are sweets generally. Well, they could be pies, it could be meat pies. Mm. Meat, of course, just means food. Mm. As in Shakespeare, the funeral baked meats did coldly furnish forth the marriage tables. Baked meats are things like little pies and cakes and... Hamlet. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, and you think, okay, well, yeah, good. But it's beginning to sound a bit obsessive and a bit gluttonous, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Amen. And it goes on. Fish and flesh, so plenteous it snowed in his house. Meat and drink, and all dainties, all dainty foods that man, men could think of. And yeah, okay, good, that's hospital. But if it's snowing, it's no longer a giving, I give you this tasty morsel, you know, mm. because I see you need a tasty morsel, and, and we have a relationship of one to one. But rather, it's just falling out of the sky like manna. So he's gone. Yeah. Yeah, But just to show that he can. Yeah. He's so rich, he can make it snow in his house. Yeah. And he can drink. And and so, yeah, he's always imitating God, you know, with manna raining on the Israelites in the desert. But God does it presumably out of care for the Israelites. He's doing it to show what a big man he is. I mean, we have it nowadays when people have these enormous weddings. Oh, yeah. Well, that's it. We all know this family. Yeah. I was just thinking with Chaucer, he gives you these psychological insights. Like, we know these figures Mm. compared to something like Middlemarch, where it's a very specific character. It's very careful characterization. We know someone like that, but they are their own characters. We're here. We all know these people. These are portraits. They're clever. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. That's really what the novel is for, is to give you these individuals rather than. Mm, that you feel Types. like you know yeah. because you've read yeah that's right that's right that's right yeah I'm going to say something weddings oh weddings yes that's right. <laughs> for that's the right. sake of it to show that you can that you well, have the money the wealth yeah, yeah. thousands and thousands like of a dollars. Kennedy wedding <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right and uh, research has shown interesting you know, the, the, the more ostentatious your wedding you're less happy your marriage well the, the shorter it will last yeah the less time it will last the more you spend on it the shorter it's likely to be the wedding. Checks out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, get married in McDonald's. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Well. What about a nice coffee shop? <laughs> <laughs> a nice coffee shop. A library. Okay. <laughs> a bit better. A bit better. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's, that's right. Trump. Trump would get married in McDonald's. Yeah, he would, wouldn't he? One of the Thanksgivings or Christmases or whatever, when he got Maccas to come to the White House. Oh God, yes. There's that photograph of him. <laughs> Standing at a table of French fries. 
<laughs> oh, what, are we come to this? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we are all just descending from yes. yeah, Moses. That's right. <laughs> oh, God in heaven. So, um, after the sundry seasons of the year, so changed he is me to this supper. Although, that's interesting because nowadays we don't worry about that. You mm. forget, we no longer think of foods as seasonal because of transportation and freezing. It's coming back. Is it? The young'uns are interested in this. Oh, they want to start their right. homesteads and make their own right. tomatoes and, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I agree. It's all, it's all to the good, you know. Yeah. But, um... People okay. are buying harvest calendars. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll... When I was a child, they, they used to have sort of harvest festivals at the local church, and people would bring along their radishes and their mangoes, not mangoes, what am I talking about? Potatoes. Mangled wurzels, Yeah, perhaps. yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> potatoes, yes. Yeah. That's right, here's a potato shaped like a piece of Elvis Dutton. Presley. Oh. Or, or, or <laughs> Easier to get one shaped like Peter Dutton. Yes, Or exactly. he is a potato. He is a potato. So, again, there's this sense of obsession with eating. With uh, you know, We start off by saying he's an Epicurean, and it's taking up too much of his attention and his, his life, in a sense, mm. when he should be engaged in other pursuits. And, indeed... He's in the position to do to, so, yes. so it's almost worse. Yes, exactly. He can, you know, repair bridges and... Trump, Musk, yeah. Yes, exactly. They, well, Trump doesn't have the money, but they have the money and they don't, you yeah. know... Well, he's got some money. Yeah. And swindling people for... Yes. I mean, he had his whole fund for real, you know, re-elect the proper president or something, whatever nonsense. Uh, which is getting the widow's might, you know. The, yeah, OK. And putting it all towards, his, well, his own... Like, his own legal defences against all the nasty Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. What a vile creature. Hmm. Just this, this profusion of detail. Many a fat partridge he had in cages, and many a bream, and many a loose, a loose is a, a kind of fish. Not sure what, but it's a kind. Of, oh, it's a pike. Yeah. We don't eat pike nowadays, do we? No. Oh. Fish is too expensive. Let alone. Well, that's true. Fish. Do you know that uh, marvelous Ted Hughes poem called Pike? Oh, it's, it's good. Well, no, yes. <laughs> um, but now look at what kind of follows, and this is so interesting. Woe was his cook, except his sauce were poignant and sharp, and ready all his gear, all his you know eating utensils and so on. So, you know, the basic rule is that sin drives out charity, mm-hmm. and gluttony, of course, means that you are. You are eating in excess all the stuff that could go to feed the poor, perhaps. But it drives out charity or even fellow feeling. So he, he, he attacks his cook. Woe with his cook. If his sauce isn't poignant and sharp. And that's an interesting thing to have too, isn't it? First of all, that it makes him angry and uh, t- towards others and hateful rather than loving and kind. 
like sharing bread, like the Last Supper, you know, mm. where mm. sharing meals with yeah. people brings you together. Preps know that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gets lost along the way. Gets lost along the way. That's true. But he's not sharing. That's mm. the thing. He's. Yeah, gaining power and prestige by holding this over people and being known as the place to go to have the wine and therefore he has power within the community. Yes, exactly. This way that he hasn't necessarily earned. Exactly. And there's there's a lovely literary topos in here called the Canar Horribilis. Tooth. No people. No, Canar is a a dinner. Okay. So the horrible dinner. Ah, yeah, Jenna. Oh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, for example, in Juvenal and in Petronius, okay. there are these examples of nouveau riche types, people who were slaves, were liberated, and then made lots of money, whatever. I'm on board, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Good. But then they throw these horrible dinner parties where... It's basically, again, the display of their wealth. So you have these things that nobody can eat and nobody wants, like... A stuffed yeah, so mi- mouse inside a stuffed goose inside a stuffed yes, whatever. Yeah, right, okay. going up to an ox, yes. Yeah. That's in the Petronius. Uh, and, and you sit at the bottom of the table. You're simply there as an object to worship and gaze at, you know, the great man. You get filthy wine like vinegar as he's drinking the finest Falernian, you know... And you get a crap food down this end of the table deliberately. It's not that he can't afford it, but he wants to humiliate you. Yeah. So it's not enough that you you are there. You're there because you have to be there because you want you must eat. <laughs> but you're given all the rubbish, all the awful. That's fun. While while he eats the finest, you know, steak. I'm on, I'm on his side. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, buddy. Um, <laughs> right. And 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 that. That is a that became a that, that, that abuse of hospitality uh, into conspicuous consumption is a, is a is a topos of Roman satire. It's funny we don't see more of that in Spencer. Yeah, it would work so well on the Fairy Queen. It would, wouldn't it? I mean, anyway, <laughs> there aren't that there's many. There's one with um. There's a feast of Malbecco, of course. Malbecco, mm. but it's not really a horrible dinner party. It's just no. sexy. Yes, exactly. Slutfest, yeah. Well, he's a bit frightened of all the guests because yeah. they've all got swords. Yeah, big dicks. <laughs> big dicks, that's right. <laughs> and then there's there's a feast in Malacaster's castle, of course. Oh, yeah. But and again. That, well, yeah. No, he doesn't tend to use that. The thing about satire is it's always basically social, isn't it? And... Spencer doesn't write so much about social matters. No. Not many crowds in the Fairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just the one that tries to stone or... Um, yes, the, yes, the ones who... Coming out of... Yes, out, out of Radigan's castle. Thank you, yes, mm, yeah. That's right. And they get the squire or something. Yeah. Kena Horribilis. It must it must pop up in English literature more than I mean there's one in Pope or sort of in Pope in, in the in the Epistle to Burlington at Timon's Villa when they have you know they they go off to dinner. Okay. But it's not it's just he's this a civilly treat treated caressed and helped to all I hate. Tired of his something state. And he he leaves the dinner basically, but it's not 
elaborated on them as it could be. But in the, Victor- the Victorian novel must have a few examples in it. Surely. Mm. It's fruitful. We can do so much with it today. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. A, a, a dormant table is a sort of fixed table that sits in the hall, and it's always covered in food, you know, for, for visitors and guests. Oh. And, so we have a chockey bowl. Yeah, well, it's a bit like that. <laughs> but much more opulent. Yeah, okay. Uh, stood ready covered all the longer day. And that's a waste. Well, it? it's waste, yes. And again, it's but it's not really hospitality. Because hospitality is a relationship of one-to-one. Yes, you know, you see someone, they need something, you give yes. freely. Yes. In fact, the, you know, the parable of the... Good Samaritan. Good is, is, is the absolute classical type of hospitality. Because they're a person and they Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And he takes them to an inn and, you know, yeah. leaves money with the innkeepers look after him. This isn't a relationship even of one to many. It's it's a it's a wank. Yeah. It's a difference between wanking and you know doing yeah. it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Good productive sex. <laughs> Good productive sex, that's right, exactly. You see, it, what, what this does is it suggests that to the to Franklin this is the important stuff. Whereas, his, whereas to any right-thinking person, his important stuff is his social role. So the next line, so we move after a whole page worth of talking about his obsession with food, we then move to, at sessions there was a lord and seer. So at the sessions, at the, in, in his great hall, he holds these local sessions on poachers and, you know, whatever. Minor, minor crimes. <clears throat> and seer, of course, is, a, is an important word because a seer is a sire, is a father. You know, there's that, that an old figure, yeah. Yeah, there's that notion God. that, yeah. And, and, you know, this fatherly relationship descends down to the Lord, that well, the king is father of his people, the Lord is father of, of his, his demean. And, uh, he so, has a responsibility, but uh, he is not fulfilling it. Yes. Uh, he, the father, the father, gives, of course, but the father also, you know, punishes and, and rules and looks after and governs. It's, it's a complicated role, but he's not really doing yeah, any of it properly. Yeah. For of the team, he was knight of the shear. To be knight of the shire was to be an MP. It was the old term for an MP. So he was even MP from time to time. Hmm in the fledgling parliament. And the parliament really just sort of advised the king, basically, in this period. No power. Well, it's an interesting question, because, in fact, in the previous century, there were a couple of wars about deciding... Well, particularly the Barons' War of the 1260s. Of course. Yes. (laughs) How could I forget? (laughs) Was all about deciding how much power... Parliament would have to make the king listen to reason and stop doing crazy stuff. <laughs> it's funny how these things just keep repeating. I know, I know. We need a speaker of the house. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was funny, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now he's quite well dressed, and Anlas and a gypsy are of silk hang at his girdle. So he's got a little dagger. That's nice. Mm. The gypsy. I mean, in a way, you know, that's not remarkable because most... You had to have a knife. Well, you had to knife for your, your food. You know, you brought it along to you, brought it to the table. Huh. Yeah. 
but you're not supposed to pay, pay your, pick your nails with it. Okay. They're the books of manners. I mean, uh, yeah, mm. basic. It, very basic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ta- books of table manners for Elizabeth, uh, for medieval people are very basic. But there are some things. You shouldn't pick your nose at the table, for example. Do it outside. Yeah, do it outside. <laughs> because you've got to put your hand in the food. Yeah. Mm. Ah. You know. <laughs> but, yeah, so you need a knife. So it's not that he's going stabby stabby you know. but it's a very fanciful it's, it's, it's a rather fancy hands, knife it's a fancy knife yeah unnecessarily so with a silk um, silk purse again not necessary yeah yeah exactly not necessary white as morning milk so he had been a shreve or a sheriff with a sort of king's administrator um, you know administering crown lands and so on so he's not made this... He's not spiritually wealthy. Not spiritually... Not spiritually wealthy at all, no. He has no spiritual wealth. But Jeff is very... Impressed. Well, Jeff is impressed because, uh, impressed because of, you know, these vast quantities of food that are invoked at any yeah. rate. Yeah. Well, they're probably hungry. <laughs> That's right. They just want a cheese toasty. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Preferably with the Virgin Mary on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, he, and he's also been an accountant, so a contour. Yeah, money. Yeah, money. money. Yeah. He goes where he's the money not, is. He's not really, yes, he's not elevated. He's not thinking of higher things like the clerk of Oxenford. Mm. Um, and he doesn't do these jobs because somebody has to do them and has a lovely hobby on the weekends helping lost rabbits. No. He's, yeah, no. he's doing it for. He's doing it. Okay. Well, the point is, he's, he's he's progressed beyond that now. So he's he's living a pretend life of aristocratic leisure. Except the aristocrats weren't leisurely in this period because they were supposed to be doing jobs themselves, hmm. public service. You know, you're expected to to do stuff. But basically, he's not doing much of anything. It's, it, even the things he's supposed to be doing, which is looking after his estate and administering petty justice. My, my my pig's just gone lame and I'm pretty sure it was Mabel who did it because... <laughs> Mabel, did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. But, you know, that's helpful because at the end of it all, everyone feels that it's been aired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've lost. We've lost all that. Yeah. Then we've got a whole bunch of people and they're all trades people. A haberdasher and carpenter and a weaver and a dyer and a, 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 a tapisser who makes carpets basically tapestry and tapestry but yeah, yeah okay but I think there's a lot more call for carpets than for tapestry of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about the word only rich people could afford tapestry tapestry I mean carpets in there is a kind of anagram but yep <laughs> <laughs> Tapestry, of course, is pretty good for um, keeping drafts done. Because, you know, there'd be drafty places, castles. There would be. Mm. Yeah. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you hang lots of tapestry. Oh, uh, yeah, carpets on the walls. <laughs> yes. That's what it is. Basically. Mm. Basically. There's a lovely saying by Cervantes. You know this one? He says that reading a work in translation is like looking at the back of a tapestry. Pretty sure you told us that when you did those translations. Oh, the Dante, year. yes. No, no, right. no. When you 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 told us Kafka first year. Oh, mm. did I? I remember you telling Gosh, us what a good memory you have. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you were uh, an elevated figure in my week. I mean, you still are, but <laughs> we still had the two lectures, and you gave most of them. Oh, yes, that's right. It was fun. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, we've got the whole bunch of... Um, they were all dressed in one livery. They were clothed all in all livery of a solemn and a great fraternity of a... I remember solemn means important, dignified, but doesn't exclude the idea of celebration. So this is like a guild, really, isn't it? They belong to a guild. Which they would have had by now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. They were, the guilds by this time were hugely Established. important. Yeah, yes. okay. And, you know, the haberdashers had a guild and the merchant tailors. I think that's where I'd want to... Oh, skull. <laughs> I'm doing a D and D, figuring out who it would be. Yeah. But they, they, you know, they had their livery and their pomp and circumstance, and they still, they still have dinners and things, and yeah. they're seen. The miners, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they, these were not unions. No, there's they, they, because these are craftspeople. These are people who are. Have a certain skill. Mechanic skilled had their had their libraries in early oh. colonial Australia. Yes, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that's did. what I'm thinking of. They did. Yes, that's true. Mm. That's true. That that we carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's 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 a it's a profession that you have to be You're apprenticed in. into. You're apprenticed yeah. into it exactly, and then you produce your masterwork, which simply meant masterpiece. Well, yeah, but not, but not. I mean, so, our, our, for us, a masterpiece is, you know, the best you've done. It's like for the oh, King Lear, is the master, is Shakespeare's masterpiece, maybe or Hamlet. Mm. This simply meant, look, here's a table. I can make a bloody table. It doesn't fall over. I'm now a table maker. <laughs> <laughs> like a thesis, I can write a piece yes. of academic work. Your thesis is your masterwork. Extend, but now they want it to be your masterpiece, don't they? Really? Master, yeah. Well, that's yeah. what they want. Yeah. That's what <laughs> Exactly. Yes, but you're quite right. That's, that's an excellent example. Your thesis. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, in, it used to be that they were meant to be a contribution to knowledge, but they weren't meant to be world-shattering. No. Um, now, good luck to if it's not. Yeah. Well, fresh and new is Gergera Picadois, so they're all their all their stuff is fresh and new and trimmed and adorned. Again, everything you know, he's impressed with everything. This chap, you get the feeling he didn't get out much. No, <laughs> this is his first trip. That's right. <laughs> but you know, in a way, this is what medieval life would be like. It would, there was much less, as we said before, much less visual stimulation, any kind of stimulation. How much space really. there must have been in their brains? Yes, patience. They yeah. considered the doctors without having to play a game on the oh, phone. Oh, yeah. Well, you know that um, basically the word boredom didn't really, the idea of boredom didn't really exist in English. Well, you didn't, well ennui was how it came in, wasn't it? Yes, the word ennui. And Byron says this. He says, we have the thing, but we don't have a nerd word for it. Well, they're busy. St. on June. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but the point is, life would be mainly boredom. Mainly tedium. If you're, if you're a peasant... You know, oh yeah. Digging up one potato is much like digging up the next potato. Yeah. You're, so life is hard, but it's also very tedious. En- enlivened by 
Well, I suppose by six. Song and dance and merriment. Uh, yeah, festivals, yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. The 12 days of Christmas, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. The Harvest Home, packing nuts on April Fool's Day. Little things. Yeah, little things. You, know, <laughs> you didn't have much. You could die from a glass of water. Exactly. Watch out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, as a child, you know, we we get Christmas stockings. We'd get presents, but we'd also get Christmas stockings on Christmas morning. And at the bottom, there would be nuts. You mm. could crack your nuts, and there would be a tangerine. Oh. Yeah. Sweet. Mm. I don't think we get away with that nowadays. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, here the Canevas were chappered, knocked with brass, but all with silver, wrathful, clean and well. So their knives are... <coughs> their tips not with brass, but with silver. Again, there's a little sort of display gone. Everybody is putting on a show in one sort or another, aren't they? Yes. For their own yeah. benefits. E- except, you know, the whole point about a show, though is that it must relate to a reality which is conveying meanings of some sort. I am very rich, I'm poor and humble, I am a great lord. And whatever else is putting on a show, people like the parson and the clerk are the thing shown. They're not putting on a show, so their appearance says, I am I'm a humble clerk, I don't eat a lot, uh. you know. Um, but it's the reality. It's not, mm. it, it's not a performance. You're not performing thinness. And in fact, you can't perform thinness, can you? Can't, well, well. If you're plump, today. <laughs> today. Well, yes. You, you you become a model and you look anorexic and grumpy and. And that's the whole point. You are putting on a show. But th- what we yes. don't see behind the scene is the um, anorexia and mm, the bulimia the and the unhealthy eating habits yes. and yeah. Yeah. That's right. Interesting how that's... Well, it goes, look, it goes right back to medieval saints. Oh, yeah. Ho- you, ho- we talked about holy anorexia. Because we had the whole debate about whether or not that was suicide. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That's right, that's right. <laughs> it was winding Ange up. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. Emperor wants to marry you. You say nick off emperor. You know damn well you're going to end up on a gridiron or something. Or, but... If it's, not, if it's not suicide, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> One of those mysteries I am not privy to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But there was holy anorexia. Because, you know, the female body is deemed to have two sinful apertures. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> sinful stuff comes in. Um, just and all, eat the biscuit. Just, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So, you be you're, you're holy by refusing food, or by going around you know licking lepers' wounds, or all that kind of stuff. It's mm. sometimes you, you can't help feeling that, that religion's a bit twisted, a bit. Oh yeah. <laughs> a, bit, a bit sick at heart, you know. Yes. We're so used to it all that we take it for granted, but the whole Just idea. Monkeys and shoes. Well, the idea that you know Christianity is basically religion of. Divine cannibalism. I'm with you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> two thousand year old zombified Jew, and we're yes. doing Christmas. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Makes you stop and think of traffic lights. Mm, quite. Anyway, well, same at edge of him a fire bore ice. 
they seemed, each of them, a fair... A Burgess is a sort of fat, wealthy, important citizen, you know, who sits on the town council. Yeah, like, yeah, like a burger. Like a burger. Yeah. Mm, exactly. <laughs> to sit in a yield hall on a dice, on a dice, on a, a raised platform. Yeah. So, yeah. But he, he does... Even Jeff says they seem like one of these things. Again, it's mm. the performance... Just like the um, the man of law, he seemed busier than he was. So is the point that they've sort of turned their craft into their religion and it's elevating them? Well, so, yes, that, that's that's a good point, yes. The sort of religion of secularism, isn't it? I'm surprised Chaucer isn't more on board. Hmm. More on board with... Well, well no. <laughs> secularism in itself isn't necessarily a good thing if it's all about... You know, what is a man if the chief couldn't market if his time he went to sleep and feed? A beast, no more. Mm-hmm. So it's... I mean, Chaucer, I assume, is a Christian, but he's, he's, he's got a more humanist view of most of the Canterbury Tales. At the very end of the tales, of course, there is his famous retraction. Near his deathbed, he wrote a retraction saying, I retract all the naughty bits. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be on the safe side, you know. Cheating. <laughs> so, and then we have Patrick's argument. Do we believe, you know, around the ancient mariner, which one do you go with? If Coleridge is constantly... Uh, sorry, lyrical ballads. If you're constantly um, rewriting and editing and changing things up. Oh. Um, well. Uh, sorry. I'll get to it. Well, anything will do for that. I mean... Christabel. Christabel, right, yes. Mm. Or think of Auden's poems, you know. He, re- he retracted certain poems when he became a Christian. Hmm. So which version do you go by? Which is better? Which one, yeah, is the... Well, I think you can see someone like Auden as a series of slices. Yeah. And I prefer the earlier slices. That's fair. So I'm going... You know, there's a, there are fine poems like September the 1st, 1939, which he rejected. But we don't have to reject him. It's like Paradise Lost. We always go with the 1678 version because 12 books, that's the finished one. We look at that one. But yeah. is the 1667 one better because he wrote it first? As we, as we know, I mean, as being writers ourselves, you know, your second thoughts aren't always better thoughts. No. Sometimes your third thoughts say, what was I thinking? And go back to your first thoughts. Yeah. So it's a very interesting question, but certainly you can't apply a mechanical solution like no. latest is best. No, <laughs> yeah. So this is interesting that she also wanted to take out the naughty bits for that reason, but it would... Well, not for artistic reasons, though, but exactly. for the health, health it, of his soul. It would make it the poem worse, because you're taking oh, away yeah. good art, so yeah. we should leave it in. Of course. Oh, nobody's, his soul. nobody's ever dreamed no, of paying attention. It's, it's funny when you... Yeah, yeah. you try and think of these arguments. Well, it's like Kafka on his deathbed wanted, wanted Max Broad to burn all his work. Uh, Byron's diary. Mm. Yeah. And Virgil. Virgil wanted to destroy the Aeneid. Oh. So, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Can you imagine? No, I know. Uh, A world without that text. Western civilization would, would be, not be what it is. No, it would be very different. It's a kind of foundation text of, the, of Western culture. <laughs> so, yeah. More so than the Bible, I'd argue, in some ways. Yes. So, yeah, I... I so I think it's a, it's a complex and delicate question and you certainly can't apply a mechanical rule to it. What an interesting 
Hmm. Whereas, you know, with, with science, you say, well, the later theory transcends the earlier theory. The earlier theory is good, it's a good model, but the later theory offers you a better model. Yeah. Therefore, you go with that. Hmm. But, um, yes, we don't go with Vesalius, we go with the <laughs> yeah, phrase anatomy. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But it is a fascinating question. It's a critical question, really, ultimately, isn't it? It's a question of interpretation. We're doing critical analysis. That's yeah, well, that's <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Successive cells are different people, and sometimes they're not necessarily better. No. no. Yeah, as, as writers or mm. critics. So, um, average for the wisdom that he can was sharply for to be an older man. Everyone for the wisdom that he had was suitable to be an alderman okay that's pretty low praise I suppose an alderman is a again like a town councillor mm. something like that I mean it goes back to an Anglo-Saxon word which means something like a village elder or you know, mm. yeah it's a bit debased yeah. no yes for cattle had their knock and rent and their care weavers walled it well ascent they had enough cattle. Cattle uh, could mean just riches in general. It's a very interesting word, isn't it? Cattle, because cattle was the major source of wealth. You could get so much out of it, yeah. Well, yeah. Leather. Yeah. So if we think of our word fee, it comes from the old English feoch, which means cattle. So a fee. So you pay a fee. Yes. So Free if your cattle, bank manager please. says, will you pay me a fee? You offer him a cow. And he can't refuse it. Etymolog- etymologically speaking, <laughs> he must accept your cow. I dare you. I double dare you. <laughs> I double dare you. <laughs> Film it for YouTube. <laughs> Leaving your cow into the bank, getting it through those revolving doors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... And also, <coughs> pecuniary. Not the root of pecuniary is. It's pecos. Equine, no. No, pecos, the sheep. So. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, you can learn a lot from etymology. I, I have, I have. <laughs> uh, Oh, and Eki's weavers will do well ascent, and his wives, their wives would, would really would readily agree to it. And of course they would, because they want to be aldermen's wives, mm. and they're more important. And Ellis Satan were they to blame, and otherwise they were, in fact, wrong. It is full fire to be neglect, madame. It's very nice to be called madam. Oh, well, of course it is. <laughs> yes. Everyone wants to be first lady. And gone to Vigilis, I'll before her to go first to festivals and feasts and things <laughs> and have a mantle royally she bore and to have your cloak borne like a queen behind you you know status mm-hmm. so like any literary work you know the people in this are mainly after status sex and money mm-hmm. uh, and power mm-hmm. power and sex are quite the same thing mm-hmm. and Jack the Ripper had power he didn't have status but he had sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's a long time. Um, we should 
probably call that it. Oh, you think? Today. Okay, well, let's... let's it's okay. amazing. We've only got me through 285. We've done 100 lines in two hours. <laughs> well, there were a couple of digressions. I know, I know. We're doing well. Um, <laughs> I, it's going to be. No one else has done a Shorter podcast. I've looked. No. Cool.